Hi, I'm Valerie, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Hello and welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real scientists answer your beauty questions and give you an insider's look at the beauty product industry. This is episode number 171. I'm your host, Valerie George, and with me today is Perry Romanowski. Hi, Perry. Hello, Valerie. I have a cold, so I have this sexy low voice. Ooh, you are really going to woo today's listeners with that. I'll endeavor to please. (laughs) All right. On today's episode, we're going to be answering your beauty questions about do jade rollers work or are they just hype? Is micellar water good enough for cleaning off makeup? Will supplements give you better looking skin? Is this hot, expensive hairline worth the money? And are the ingredients in cosmetics safe? Plus, we'll cover a couple of hot topics that have popped up in cosmetics industry news. And I'm really excited that we're going to cover a lot of things today with my co-host, Perry. Yeah, it sounds like we have a good show. Hey, hey, Valerie, you know, while I'm uh, laid up with this cold, I found this uh, this app. Oh, what was it? Well, the app's called uh, UCAM Makeup. And it's... Mm. This is a good one. Yeah, it's highly amusing to me because it, it lets... Now, I should say we aren't paid by the UCAM makeup people, and, and I only got it because it's a free app, and I, and I read about it. But I, I saw that you can change the color of your hair, like, in real time. And so I, I downloaded it, and <laughs> I, I gave myself, like, purple hair and, and blue hair. Oh, cool. I tried this uh, app at the, I think they were the Consumer Electronics Show last year, and I actually uh, turned myself into a redhead and then did an Instagram poll and asked my followers, should I consider dyeing my hair red? And it was an overwhelming yes. So maybe it's proof that the the UCAM app does, you know, provide some insights into looks. I have to tell you, I'm I'm really impressed with their like algorithm or something because you make your hair a different color, you can turn your head, and it it really looks realistic. Yeah, are you going to consider dyeing your hair blue now? I'm, you know, I think uh, I think I look better in uh, deep purple. <laughs> yeah, that's a good color. It was the color of the year last year. Well, let's get into some beauty science news. Great idea. <laughs> All right, so the first article we have is from a website called Chemical Watch, and they posted an article that cosmetic animal testing ban was deemed pointless. Yeah, you know, I was alerted. I have an alert for, like, chemical-free or animal testing. I have a bunch of alerts, right? But I was alerted to this story, uh, which it's interesting because it suggests that the animal testing ban in the EU is actually pointless because it's routinely gotten around. Mm. You know, this actually occurred to me when I first heard of this ban, and now the folks at Cruelty Free International have chimed in. You know, uh, Cruelty Free International, they're the people behind the the Leaping Bunny Cruelty Free certification. Yep, that's the emblem that appears as a rabbit on the packaging. Right, it's supposed to mean that this company doesn't test on animals. And So as a little background, uh, animal testing of cosmetics was completely banned in the EU in 2013. It was like, it was a process. It was like 2004, they eliminated things in 2009. And now in 2013, all animal testing is supposed to be banned for cosmetics. 
So really no company right now in the EU is allowed to test their cosmetic products on animals. Anyway, the Leaping Bunny folks are claiming that the group responsible for regulating chemicals in the EU, that's the European Chemicals Agency, or ETCHA, they say that they are undermining the animal testing ban for chemicals in cosmetics because they don't apply the ban to chemicals used for purposes other than cosmetics. Yeah, so really what we have here are, are two different agencies, right? So we have ECHA or ECHA, which is the European Chemicals Agency, which is looking at chemicals overall, but they're separate from the regulatory body that governs rules for cosmetics, which is the body that banned animal testing previously. So two different groups here. Yeah, it, it turns out the legislation that bans animal testing uh, of cosmetics or cosmetic ingredients it has two loopholes that do allow for animal testing. One is that you can do animal testing if it is done for the purpose of worker safety. So that's for the people who make the raw materials or the cosmetics, if there's some specific test you need to do to prove that they're safe while they're making it, then it's okay to use that. Mm. And then the other loophole is that it's okay to do animal testing if it's done for an ingredient that's used uh, for other purposes, like the pharmaceutical industry. And this is kind of the area where I, I saw a loophole like right away when I saw this, because yeah, I mean, yeah, you can, you, if you make a raw material that goes both in a cosmetic or in a pharmaceutical, then you can do animal testing to prove that it's safe in the pharmaceutical, and then it's okay to do that in cosmetics then. Yeah, I actually see this frequently on uh, material safety data sheets, which uh, speak to the safety of the ingredient or chemical at 100% of the exposure. And, you know, safety data is required when working with the ingredient. So they pull um, any testing information or safety data from any industry that they can find for the safety data sheet. So you can look at it and say, wow, this was tested on rabbits. Well, maybe not for the cosmetics industry, but from some other purpose. And at some point in time, that that's not listed on the safety data sheet. But I agree, this does seem like a, a gray area. Yeah, so the CFI is now circulating a petition to get companies to commit to not using these loopholes. Now, the ETCHA, they say that they are following the legislation and they are, and they quote, work hard to try to minimize any unnecessary anim testing on animals in all aspects of their work. Unquote. Now, you know, no one wants to do animal testing, but for a lot of things, there really are no alternatives to demonstrating that a product is safe. And, you know, I've previously written about why I think that cruelty free is a, that, that claim is misleading. In fact, I did a whole video, which I'll uh, link in the sh show notes here, but basically, uh, a lot of cosmetic companies use ingredients that come from agriculture. And animals are killed while you're plowing up fields and things. So basically, lots of animals are killed during the agriculture process. So while products may not do any animal testing, they certainly aren't cruelty-free, unless you don't think getting chopped up or maimed by a plow is cruel. We did talk about this a few episodes ago as well, when you want to take, well, how far is, does the vegan certification go? I think that's the aspect in which we spoke about it, but... While vegan and cruelty-free are two separate things, they both sort of have to do with animals, and I think you make a valid point. And just uh, I'll, just to finish this off, it, it seems to me that the CFI has some ulterior motive here. I mean, 
since it's a law in the EU that you can't do animal testing, um, no company there would bother to pay to use the Leaping Bunny logo because the claim now is redundant. Everyone is already supposed to be animal testing free, so the logo, at least in the EU, just doesn't seem necessary anymore. And you might actually not even be able to use it because that is a requirement. So saying no animal testing implies that, oh, we're doing something special that's not already the law, and when in fact it already is the law, so you can't really say it because that's the status quo. Right. By highlighting some of the shortcomings, maybe this is a way for the the Leaping Bunny folks to keep their brand relevant. Oh, we'll keep an eye on it. Yeah. Interesting. It's uh, certainly a story that will unfold like this story. So many of your Facebook feeds may have been filling up with a Gillette ad. And certainly there have been some articles on the internet, men chiming in all over the place. You can find the link to the article we're referring to in the show notes. Are people boycotting Gillette? That's what we want to know. Yeah, you know, my wife sent this to me. I mean, I don't know why I didn't see the commercial, but they sent it to me. But essentially, uh, Gillette came out with this ad that uh, for shaving that doesn't actually mention shaving. I, it's interesting that Gillette uh, chose to create this video about how men should be behaving. And maybe it speaks more to the trend or notion that shaving or male grooming is actually part of the male lifestyle. And they're trying to comment on that maybe a bit. I'm not sure. But I want to know what you think, Perry, about the ad. It's it is amusing to me how uh, pe- some people are getting upset about this. I mean, advertisers for years have been a, not a, not only about selling products in, in which they do, and you know, ultimately, when it comes down to the, the it, whether this this ad gets more people to buy Gillette is that's going to determine whether it's successful or not. But if you just watch commercials in general, the advertising industry has been changing society for years, right? If you just look at the reflection of the type of actors and the type of relationships that they show in any kind of ad, uh, they've been making social commentary for decades. And so it seems very strange to me that somebody would get upset about this kind of social commentary in an advertisement. Yeah. And, you know, their point, uh, men whistling at women or whatever, as a female, I've been whistled at before and it doesn't really bother me, but I know some people get upset by it. And, you know, who who cares? Like The whole point of the ad is to stir up controversy and get people talking about Gillette. And I think in that sense, it's pretty effective at doing that. Yeah, I, I think so. And whether, I mean, everybody already pretty much knows that Gillette is shaving, right? So if you're a if you're a big brand where everybody kind of knows you already, it's not like you got to get a message out there to say, "Hey, buy our razors." <laughs> we already we already know. It's not like it's like when Nike has does advertisements, they don't say, "Hey, buy our shoes." <laughs> it's a whole uh it's it's a whole uh, brand image that they project, and that's all uh, Gillette is doing here. And I th- I think they're doing a fine job, I know. Yeah, it filled up my Facebook feed, so I, I think it's certainly working. Exactly. Well, let's do an audio question next. We love these audio questions, and at the end of the show, we'll tell you how to submit them. But Perry, let's go ahead and cue this next question. Valerie, before we answer questions, we've got a new segment on the show. Oh, tell me more. Yeah, it's called Perry Was Wrong. <laughs> oh. Now, 
I suppose it doesn't have to be just be Perry was wrong. It could just be the beauty brains are wrong or something like that. Yeah, well, not that we're wrong, but I think you know, we're presenting information based on our research, our experience as scientists, and how we're interacting in the science community. And we don't read every paper on every topic. There's always another perspective to consider. And so that doesn't mean we're wrong. I think we're open-minded to new perspectives. So let me let me tell you what happened. Remember a couple of episodes we talked about petroleum jelly? Oh, yeah. I think it was episode 169. Well, in the meantime, I was contacted by a listener, and he asked me why I cautioned people about petroleum jelly and acne. He suggested that I was given advice that wasn't actually accurate anymore. And so, and and the nice part is uh, he also included a paper and said, hey, look at this paper. Well, so I looked at it further, and it turns out that this really might not be a problem. According to a study done back in 1996 to answer the question once and for all, does petroleum jelly cause acne? Dr. Albert Kligman, who incidentally also happens to be the guy who originally suggested petroleum jelly might cause acne. Oh, that's interesting. He did a study in 1972 that caused some concerns, but he repeated, or he did a new study in 1996, and he found that, in fact, petrolatum, or petroleum jelly, does not cause acne, and it doesn't make it worse either. The advice to avoid it for facial products is just not supported by science. Let me explain a little bit about what he did. In the study, they had two groups of 10 people each who had persistent acne for at least two years. One group got got a treatment of straight petroleum jelly, and the other got a cream made of 30% petroleum jelly. And they were told that, uh, hey, we've come out with this radical new acne treatment, but it's going to feel greasy. <laughs> Now, I can just imagine the uh, subject prep that had to go into <laughs> getting people to put this on their face for two weeks or eight weeks. Yeah, I mean. that's challenging. I don't know that I would want to put a heavy cream like that on my face, but you never know. Well, they had this group of people use either the um, the straight petroleum jelly product or the 30% cream with petroleum jelly for two times daily for eight weeks. And you know what they found? What did they find? They found no evidence of petrolatum causing any acne. In fact, if petroleum jelly would have caused acne, then you could have said, hey, petroleum jelly causes acne. But in fact, in this eight-week study, they they either saw no change or actually an improvement in the skin. And so the bottom line is that you don't really have to avoid facial products that contain petroleum jelly even if you have acne-prone skin. At least that's what this research suggests. I think it's important to remember it's just one paper and keep in mind all the other papers in science that could exist, but, you know, is an important fact to consider, and I'm glad that was shared with us. Yeah, and if you look at it, it was, okay, it was done on 20 participants. That's that's a pretty small number of participants. So I'm not sure it's just generally applicable to all populations. So if you're worried about it and you don't like the feel of petroleum jelly on your face, you might avoid it. There's also a lot of different types of acne as well and causes and geographies and so many other factors that may not necessarily have been understood from this study as well. So, But again, it is a study and it's an important consideration for the advancement of science. Exactly. And, and I looked, I haven't seen anything 
since 1996 done again. So, you know, this study hasn't been replicated as far as I've seen either. I'm glad the listener contacted us. We cover a lot of topics here on the Beauty Brains, and it's hard to keep up with all the latest science in every area, and we have our own areas of expertise as well. If you hear something that you think we didn't get quite right on the show and you have a study to illustrate an error, please send it to us so we can take a look at it. We have no problem correcting the record when science demonstrates that we're wrong. Being wrong is something that scientists like to have happen. That means we've learned something new, and that is one of the primary attractions to us for science. Now, Perry, can I please get this audio question going? I'm so excited to talk about it. Yeah, let's, let's move on to the question. Now we have an audio question for you today. Let's take a listen. Hello, Beauty Brains. My question is twofold. I wanted to know if you could please explain how a jade roller or other rollers work on the face. Are they useful or are they hype? Do they really help? Does it matter if it is made of jade or some other stone? I think some are made from rose quartz. And another question I have, my second question is about micellar water and how that is used as a cleaning agent or to remove makeup. Is it enough to just use that alone or again, is that hype? Is it something that really works? Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for that question, B. Let's let's tackle the first one. It is clever how she got two questions in there for the price of one, huh? But let's tackle let's tackle the first one. Jade rollers. Ooh, I, I see these all over my Instagram feed, beauty influencers putting them on their face, over their sheet masks. Tell us about them. Oh my. Well, jade rollers, they've been around for hundreds of years, maybe centuries. The technology comes out of China and ancient traditions, so its development isn't really steeped in science. These rollers are part of a more general group called crystal facial rollers. In addition to jade, other types of crystal crystals used include rose quartz, uh, amethyst, and tourmaline. That tourmaline, I see that used in like hair dryers too. Huh? Yeah, that's really good at uh, conducting electricity and generating heat. Ah. Well, basically, these crystal rollers, they look a bit like tiny little paint rollers with the roller part that's made out of polished rounded crystals. To use them, you just kind of roll them around on your face. I mean, you can look at YouTube and see all kinds of like specific procedures to use, but essentially you're just rolling something on your face. Yep. It's supposed to give you a facial massage, which will supposedly relax your facial muscles. Uh, this then presumably is going to loosen things up and going to make your wrinkles look better or help you pr help prevent you from getting wrinkles in the future. I like using them to just massage my facial muscles to just relax them. For me, it's not about the beauty aspect, but for me, it's like I, I live with a tense face a lot. I'm working, yeah. I'm, I'm super focused, and it's kind of like a mini massage, but I realize m many people may not use them like that. Well, let's look at some of the claims that you see made about these rollers. I found six kind of common claims that I've seen about them. And I searched for any scientific evidence I could find that would support any of these claims. So the first claim I saw is that using these will improve your skin tone and elasticity. I couldn't find any evidence that 
massage with anything, whether alone it's a jade rollerball, is going to improve your skin tone. It might have a, a slight effect on skin elasticity, just the movement of your muscles could affect that. But there's no, there's, there's no published study on it. Yeah, I would agree with that. There's another claim I saw, natural collagen boosting. So there's no evidence that this is going to boost your collagen production. Another claim was re- the reduction of puffiness and wrinkles. Now, some dermatologists believe that massage can help move the fluid around in your face, and that could actually reduce puffiness. I guess, I mean, you could probably just do that with your hand, but the ball, like you said, is relaxed, or the roller is relaxing, so. Yeah, and it's a little different to have the roller doing it than, than your hands. It's even for me getting a facial I can see in my facial during the massage, it's a little different when someone else is in control. Another claim was that is increased circulation that's going to promote lymphatic drainage. Well, if if it's done vigorously enough, this could, I guess this could help with lymphatic drainage or, or dermatologists believe it can. But, you know, you don't want to do it too hard because that could lead to, say, rupturing any kind of pimples that you might have there and that could cause inflammation. So there's a, a tricky balance there. And there's an, another couple of silly claims I saw that it can eliminate toxins. I I don't know. That's, uh. To me, that's just silly. Um, you know, crystals are not going to draw toxins out through your skin. It just doesn't, oh. it doesn't work that way. <laughs> and then there's the other claim that it will tighten your pores. And there's no evidence that massage or anything else is going to tighten your pores. I would also like to add that while there is minimal evidence related to facial massage being beneficial to skin, there is even less evidence that using something like a jade crystal specifically is going to have any benefit. The claims made about different crystals amount to really just kind of a belief in magic. And this is kind of outside the realm of science, but as as far as proof goes... You know, magic is not real, and neither are the effects of these crystals on the energy of your face or whatever that's supposed to be, at least from my perspective. And for me, the bottom line is if you like the feel of a face massage, you might enjoy using the jade roller, and that's okay if you like it, do it. But from our research and experience, there's nothing magic about the composition of the roller. Surely you could get the same benefit out of a plastic roller or a metal roller that is shaped and painted to look like the jade. Yeah, I think there's a there's a product idea right there to, to make one on Ooh. Amazon. <laughs> Let me uh, quit my day job and go ahead and, and do that. Woo-hoo. Well, the second part of the audio question uh, was about micellar water, which we've all seen on the marketplace for cleansing your face. We're even starting to see it for hair in shampoos and oh my yeah i find this very interesting because for me as a chemist it's a little laughable right like my cellar is just referring to a chemical term called a micelle we'll get into that but really my cellar water is just a marketing term made up so product marketers can sell us a different version of a facial cleanser yeah, you can imagine what was going on in like the some cosmetic marketing group out there. They 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 heard this term micelles, oh surfactants and micelles, and hey, why don't we come out with an and and they're having a hard time selling facial cleansers. You know, everybody already knows facial cleansers. You say let's make up this new thing called micellar water, and it's not a facial cleanser, but it's a facial cleanser. From a formulation standpoint, essentially you take the ingredients found in a standard mild cleanser and you dilute them down. 
The term micelle refers to the structure of the detergents, meaning the cleansers in the formula. We call them surfactants in formulation chemistry in the formula. Surfactants are a special type of molecule in that they have a water-compatible portion and an oil-compatible portion that sort of looks like a tail on a circle. Because of this, surfactant molecules have this property where they arrange themselves into spherical structures on a microscopic level, and those spheres are known as micelles. So you have that water-loving portion facing the water and the oil-compatible portion sort of at the back of the molecule, and they orient themselves inside, and maybe we could put a a picture up of it. It's pretty cool to see. It's pretty cool technology, and it's pretty it's pretty much the same technology that's used for cleansers. Yeah, it's, it's the basis of all cleansing technology. So when you use the product, uh, the cleansing product, the micelles break open, and those oil-loving tails surround the oil-soluble dirt, which can then be rinsed or wiped away, which is exactly the same way that any facial cleanser works. The micellar cleansers are not technology unique. So the reality is then that micellar waters are just diluted cleansers. There are some slight differences in the way that the products are formulated. So you use a positively charged surfactant called a cationic surfactant instead of the more common non-ionic surfactants found in general facial general facial cleansers. You know, Valerie, I was I was looking through uh, some different micellar waters products. And while some of them use a cationic surfactant, I I even saw citrimonium chloride or citrimonium bromide, some of them still also use uh, standard non-ionic surfactants too. So it's not, not all of them have these cationic surfactants. So it's, it's, uh, it's, some of them are, are literally just diluted cleansers. There's also other surfactants called amphoteric surfactants. Uh, I've seen some based on that as well. Now, some of the micellar waters require to use a cotton pad. Others may require you just to put it in your hand and wash your face. Uh, The ones with a cotton pad also help with the removal of dirt without having to rinse your face the same way a washcloth would work. But these are diluted cleansers, so you may need to use more, and it won't work really well if your face is dirty. So if you have a ton of makeup on or your makeup is waterproof or has a lot of silicones in it, I don't know that a micellar water will be good enough to get all of that off. I know that in some of the K-Beauty routines, micellar waters are, or cleansers are recommended as a supplementary or secondary cleansing step. I rarely see them recommended to be used alone. So if your face is really dirty or you have a ton of makeup, it may not be great for you, but it could work well if you have sensitive skin or you want something that's to gently clean the skin or you don't have makeup on and you need something very mild. You don't need a lot of detergent to do that. You know what is a really easy way to remove makeup? What? So you get this UCAM makeup app and you put the virtual makeup on and then you just turn <laughs> Works great like a charm. I like that. It'll save everyone about 15 minutes in the morning. That's a great idea. <laughs> exactly. If only you could just walk around with your camera facing out and say, this is my face. Yeah, yeah. Well, Perry, go ahead and take us to the next question. Sure. Our next question comes to us from Jesse, and Jesse wants to know, what are your thoughts on the efficacy of taking vitamins and supplements internally for skin health? You see a lot of this uh, this trend in beauty products is beauty from within, and it's an interesting question about it. Sephora has a whole section dedicated to that now. I just went in the other day and saw this huge supplement collection. 
Well, I have to say, I, I've, I've spoken about supplements in the past on the show, and I'm not a huge fan of supplements, and basically because of the lack of regulation that we have around su- supplements in the United States. But we'll, uh, we'll table that for a moment and just specifically focus in on what's the evidence about taking vitamins and supplements and the, uh, the resulting skin health. First of all, there is almost no good evidence to show that a person with, with who has a standard diet is going to get any benefit from taking supplements to improve their skin. There are lots of single studies to show some evidence, but there have not been there these have not been replicated and are generally not well designed. Basically, if you're malnourished, it might help your skin, but for regular people, you're not going to get a lot of benefit from taking supplements specifically for skin. I see this a lot in hair and nails. People recommend to take biotin if you want to make your hair and nails stronger. There's no evidence that taking biotin orally or applying it topically will make your hair grow faster or make your hair stronger or make your nails stronger. This is a case where most people receive sufficient amounts of bioavailable biotin in their diet and taking this supplement is not going to improve anything. It's sort of like this maximum limit. However, if you do have a biotin deficiency, you will receive a benefit from supplementing. Yeah, it's interesting how how the body works, right? Because when you ingest something, it goes into your stomach and then it gets broken down and then that gets put into your bloodstream and then it'll go to the places that it needs to go. But it's no longer the thing that you ingested. So, for example, if you're if you take biotin, uh, it might be biotin when it's in your mouth, but by the time it's in your stomach, it's broken down. It's not biotin anymore. Right. Now, the only thing which there might be some uh, effect that I could find was collagen supplements. Now, I didn't find the evidence particularly compelling to myself. It really hasn't been independently duplicated. But there's at least a double-blind placebo-controlled study uh, I should I should mention that this study's been around for a while, and it probably hasn't been duplicated because you know it sort of advertises for a company who specifically sells this supplement. Yeah, sounds a little biased, right? Yeah, I think so. One of the other things that uh, people wonder about is that you see supplements in these different forms. There is the the liquids, the pills, and the powders that you pour into a liquid. And you might wonder, do any of these, does, does the form that you take it actually matter? Well, I couldn't find any evidence that whether you're taking pills or powders or liquid supplements is going to make any difference at all. And I really suggest if you're a consumer who likes to take supplements, you know, find the one that's tastes the best or works the best for you and go ahead and do that. Some people might prefer pills, but other people might prefer liquid. I prefer not to take any of them all at all, but it's not <laughs> going to affect the way it absorbs and affects your skin. Oh, yeah. I, I'm not a big supplement taker either. By that, I mean I don't take any. I just eat my food and that's about it. Yeah, my, my supplements are my food. <laughs> yeah. The next question is a hair-related question, which, as you know, I always love. And from Vancouver says, glad you guys are back. Happy New Year. Well, Happy New Year to you, too. She would like our opinion on the Briogeo hairline. It seems to be the hottest thing right now, and it's very expensive. Anne knows that we formulated shampoos in the past and thought we would be the perfect people to ask. I don't mean to toot our horn, but I agree. Anne <laughs> wants to know, <laughs> Anne wants to know, is Briogeo really that great? Are the ingredients worth the cost? 
she doesn't think there seems to be much there except for the usual blather about sulfate-free, paraben-free, and silicone-free. And she actually sent a link to a product, the Scalp Revival Charcoal and Coconut Oil Micro Exfoliating Shampoo. Whew, what a name. Uh, well, Anne, I've actually tried the whole line, and the product that you linked to is actually in my shower. As an aside, Valerie, that's the, the real benefit of having you on the show now instead of Randy is that now we have someone who actually tries some of these products. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have lots of hair. So uh, this product actually exists in my shower. I have a bunch of competitive products in my shower. I'm not supported by this brand or anything like that. I get to try a ton of things. Um, I don't necessarily try them for the claims on the packaging. I just pick stuff up and get it. And that's one of the perks of being a cosmetic chemist is that you get to do market research and try stuff. I don't even get to use the products I make in the lab because my shower is so full of what else is out there. And Mr. Cosmetic Chemist, that's what I refer to my husband as, absolutely hates it. Perry, do you have this experience when you were working at Alberto Culver? Did you use the products you made or did you have a bunch of competitor products in your shower? Oh, that was one of my favorite things about being a cosmetic chemist. You pretty much could find any product out there. And if it was loosely related to something you were working on, you could pick it up and try it. So I tried all kinds of stuff. Yeah, cool. Well, for those of you who don't know Briogeo, it's a brand that's designed for hair that is textured or has some body or curl to it. If you remember on the previous episode, we've talked about the curly girl method. That's who this brand targets. And we'll delve more into that method in the future. But briefly, if you're new to the podcast and you didn't listen to last week, the Curly Girl Method, also known as CGM, is a hair care regimen for people with curly or textured hair. It's sort of a culture, and there's many subsects of people who follow that method, each with their own little twist. But part of the core belief is that ingredients should be avoided that impact this hair type, like silicones, parabens. Shampoos will be sulfate-free, meaning they don't use ingredients like sodium lauryl sulfate or sodium laureth sulfate and the like. I don't like to slander other brands and products. So when I talk about Briogeo today, um, my stance is going to be focused on the science and then my opinions um, strictly as a consumer of the product. Briogeo focuses on avoiding the use of these ingredients in most of their products and has formulated the products so they perform optimally on textured or curly hair. So the hair is controlled, hydrated, not weighed down. The performance factor and why people like the product in my opinion, is probably not a result of the ingredient technology, meaning performance and how the hair looks isn't based on what the brand is avoiding in their products or conversely what they're using in the products. I think it more has to do with the overall aesthetic of the product and the format and the way it feels. And the brand story and things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the result you get is achieved from the product as a whole. So for example, the Strength and Moisture Leave-In Mask from this brand attributes micro-encapsulated argan oil to repair the hair. But when I look at the ingredient listing, I see a whole symphony of other ingredients that help make up this lightweight chassis in the formulation, like cetrimonium chloride or behentrimonium methosulfate. And I think those lend a hand in both the structure of the formula, meaning how it looks in your hand, but also the conditioning and strengthening in the performance of the hair. So it's not necessarily about the argan. Yeah, and then they have that, uh, they have their charcoal coconut oil micro exfoliating shampoo. When did shampoos become exfoliating? <laughs> it's it's a new thing now. And you know what? I actually like this product. It yeah. smells like chocolate mint. I think that's most of it. We actually did a little um, sniff study in the lab and most of the females in the lab love the fragrance, but the guys 
didn't like it, which I thought was funny because it smells like a chocolate mint. It's oh, delicious well, smelling. It's It sounds fabulous. But even looking at the shampoo ingredient list, they're using sodium uh, methyl isothionate, cocomidal propyl betaine, pretty much standard uh, detergents. Yeah. And so... The last part of her question, whether or not the products are worth the price, it really depends on what you're willing to spend. I personally don't like to spend a lot of money on shampoos because I don't believe expensive shampoos have ingredients that make the formula cost more money. So I personally probably wouldn't purchase the Briogeo shampoo products, but I enjoy their specialty products like that micro exfoliating shampoo that smells like a, a Girl Scout thin mint. So it's really just up to you as a consumer what you prefer and where you want to spend your money. However, in the general type of product that Briogeo creates, when you avoid the use of silicones and you want to make shampoos sulfate-free, even if they're sort of standard ingredients, the formula, I think, tends to cost more per pound because the ingredient companies that us brands buy these ingredients from they're taking advantage of the market trend and charging more for the ingredients. So when you say, I'd like to avoid silicones, and they open their coat of ingredient wares and show you all of the silicone-free options they have, they, they take advantage of this market trend and charge a little more money than some of these non-functional silicones or esters. Also, when you're using natural ingredients like oils, extracts, esters, I think they tend to cost a little bit more because they're relying on Mother Nature for the harvest. It's not a guaranteed deal every year how much you're going to get. They right. still require additional processing, and I think that's what tends to make them more expensive than the silicones that you would use in hair care that make the hair feel good. But that's not to say silicones are cheap because there are some cases where you have these high-performance silicones that do really cool things on the hair, and those can be expensive. So again, it just depends. But if, if you like Briogeo and the way it makes your hair feel, go ahead and spend the money. If you don't think it's worth it, don't. Easy as that. The products are perfectly good, and Valerie clearly likes how they smell. I haven't smelled them, so I, I probably yeah. would too. I like, I like Girl Scout Thin Mints. Um. <laughs> then, you'll, then you'll like this one, so... But if you're looking for, as far as if you judge a product based on performance, you could find less expensive shampoos based on those particular surfactants. Well, we have our last question of the episode. Cami asks, are the ingredients listed in cosmetic safety use and what might be the side effects? Perry? Well, you know, this is a pretty easy one to answer. Yes, the ingredients listed in cosmetics are safe to use. In fact, in the U.S. and around the world, it is illegal to sell unsafe cosmetic products. So it's really just as simple as that. And it's not good for business to kill customers, so... No, yeah, it really isn't. Cosmetic companies don't want to kill customers. They want to keep you coming back and buying the products. You'll often hear claims uh, from chemical scare scaremongers, or I would say fearmongers. Do you say fearmongers or scaremongers? I say both, same Z's, but yeah. Well, anyway, these groups who want to scare you about chemicals, they say that 80% of ingredients used in cosmetics have not been tested from sa for safety. Now, on the face of it, uh, this claim, I, I haven't actually run the exact numbers, but the claim sounds about right. I mean, in the INCI dictionary, there is like 22,000 chemicals listed the last time I checked. If you look at the CIR, they don't have nearly that many chemicals that are tested for safety. So 
as far as it goes, the claim the claim isn't exactly lying, but it certainly is misleading. And let me explain why. The thing is, the ingredients that are most commonly used in cosmetics, the things that you're going to be uh, exposed to most frequently, they certainly have been tested. I should mention that the CIR, we actually talked about the CIR in a recent episode a couple times ago. You went to school with that one guy. Yeah, Dr. Bart Heldreth. He leads the studies that they do, putting them through the correct uh, paneling, making sure that there's no bias from people putting their input on the safety of the ingredients. So the CIR is the Cosmetic Ingredient Review Board, and it's made up of independent scientists, consumer activists, and even a representative from the FDA. Now, to find out what the CIR has tested about any ingredient that you're wondering about, you can go to the CIR-safety.org website and look up any ingredient you want. We can also put a link in the show notes. For sure. But as far as side effects go, the most common side effects uh, from ingredients are allergic reactions, and you'll get things like rashes or maybe some itching or flaking skin. Some people might have more severe reactions, but that's really based on your genetic makeup and not really something that could be easily determined before using any product. So it's on some level, if you have this, this latent allergy to an ingredient, you might only find that out by using a product. Right. And just like food, people's bodies, their immune systems can generate allergic reactions to things. So not necessarily fair to say that cosmetics aren't safe. People just are allergic to things. Exactly. But basically, cosmetics are safe to use. So it's not something I'd worry about. But if you are afraid of cosmetics, I say don't use them. You don't have to use cosmetics to live a happy and healthy life. You might not smell as good, but they're, you know, for a lot of people, cosmetics make them feel better about themselves and feel happy. So for the people who like using cosmetics, feel free to use them. They are safe to use. More safe than they've ever been. That's, I feel confident about that. All right, next time on the show, episode 172 airing next week, we are going to tackle what happens in dry weather. We have a lot of questions coming in about dry skin, dry hair, and we're gonna help you navigate this ugly winter season. Thanks for listening. If you get a chance, go over to iTunes and leave us a review. That'll help other people find the show and ensure we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. Speaking of beauty questions, if you want to ask a question, click the link in the show notes, or you can record one on your phone and email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. We love the audio questions because it sounds much better than listening to us on the podcast. Also, don't forget to follow us on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at thebeautybrains2018. On Twitter, we're at thebeautybrains. And we also have a Facebook page. Hey, Valerie, I did something new. Oh, what did you do? A new world record? No, the Beauty Brains are now on Patreon. Oh, what's Patreon? Well, uh, Patreon is a way for listeners who appreciate the show, and especially the fact that the show has no advertisements. It's a way for them to support the Beauty Brains by giving a donation or starting a donation per episode. So if you want to support the show, uh, on Patreon is the best way to do it. Now, we no longer take advertising, and we're not going to do paid product reviews. So 
this way is this is one way that we can actually generate some funds that will keep the lights on here at Brains Publishing. If you appreciate what we do, head over to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and you can donate whatever you want. And uh, we're going to build up our Patreon page and people who are uh, who give donations, they'll get special bonuses. So, uh, so there's that. Thank you so much, everyone, for your support. We love communicating science, and we have so much fun here. There are some small operating costs to cover, and we appreciate everything that you guys do for us. So thanks again for listening, and remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everybody. Kittens!